0: and I talk about our original characters, the good, the bad, and the self-inserts. Today our guest is Steven. How are you doing today? Tonight. It's a night recording.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Tonight, today, one of those. We're in internet land. There is no time. I'm good. How are you?
0: I, I can't complain too much. Uh, fast food is great. <laughs> Steven, who are we going to be talking about today?
1: Um, well, we're going to be talking about a, a character that I've poured a lot of time and energy into, probably more than is healthy, uh, and one of the the key non-player characters in our actual play role-playing podcast, Blasburn Radio Adventures, uh, everybody's good friend and lovable crime boss, uh, Lapani Lu.
0: Okay, uh, since. Uh... I was not necessarily a fantastic host. I did not do any pre listening of Blasper Radio. So can you maybe set up a little bit like the universe, the setting of this RPG?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Blastburn Radio, well, for the record, if you go to check us out, there's two shows on the Blastburn Radio feed. There is what we call our main show, uh, which is a, a Nuzlocke podcast, so it's all about uh, our competitive runs through the Pokemon games with the hard mode rule sets, and that's really, really fun. But what we're talking about tonight is a character from our role-playing show, which is Blastburn Radio Adventures, uh, which comes out on the opposite weeks. So, um, same feed, yeah, yeah. Um, in BDR Adventures, our characters are playing in a world that is the Pokemon world, only we try to add some some depth to it. We take the, the basic frameworks that we get in the video games and the anime, and we think about, well, what if this was actually a real place? How would it function? What would it be like? Um, specifically, our first arc, which is just about wrapping up now, depending on when exactly you're listening to this, uh, takes place within Celadon City. Mm-hmm. entirely self-contained within Celadon. Um, and in our setting, it's about 20 years after the events of Pokemon Red and Blue. So Team Rocket fell to the hands of the the cursed young Brat Red many, many years ago. And things have been much less organized on the wrong side of the tracks in Celadon. Since then, uh, obviously, there was a big power vacuum uh, mm-hmm. when organized crime fell. Because, you know, obviously... Um, Celadon, if you look at it, even from the little bit we get in Pokemon Red and Blue, it's, it's a town that's very sharply divided by class. Uh, you know, it has the Celadon department store, which is like the single largest economic hub in the Pokemon world we get in Red and Blue in all of Kanto. Mm-hmm. And then right outside there's Cycling Road, which is full of Roughnecks and, and Vagabonds who will accost you for your money. Um, even discounting Team Rocket and their activities, there's a pretty sharp divide there. Um and so that's something that that we wanted to emphasize in in our storytelling because it makes sense. Um and in in our setting um specifically what has arisen in the power vacuum that was left behind from Team Rocket is uh Lou and his organization, where you know something that really a lot of the storytelling that we're dealing with here, not even just with Lou, but with our story this far, came from me spending way too many hours thinking about who was Giovanni, right? What was Giovanni like? What was Team Rocket like? And if you look at like real life uh, examples of organized crime, you you see a lot of instances of these people uh, wanting to do good, or at least wanting to be seen to be doing good within their communities. You have examples like the Japanese Yakuza uh, providing relief efforts in the wake of tsunamis and earthquakes in their local areas. You see things like Al Capone opening soup kitchens at the start of the great depression. Uh, and, and it makes sense that even in this fictional world, that the same things would be true. And so our, our buddy Lou was was a young man when that was happening. And he took it very much to heart. Uh, He believed that essentially that organized crime was good for him and people like him, uh, that they helped the people. And and I think that, you know, if you think about what happens when those power vacuums leave, uh, I think that probably reinforced a lot of those opinions for him. Uh, And so ultimately what's happened is this man has spent the better part of his life building. A, a a much like friendlier cuddlier criminal network in celadon where he's uh set up shop and and he brings them uh a measure of protection and a measure of charity to those who needs it um and yeah it is just kind of certainly sees himself whether it's totally the reality or not as the robin hood of this setting mm-hmm. uh, protecting the poor from the rich
0: okay i guess my next relevant pokemon question Is in the universe of BBR Adventures, are things still restricted to like, there's just the Kanto Pokemon, or is it like, nope, everyone's here?
1: It's, it's a much more globalized world is how we imagine it. Because if you even look at, I, I mean, it's what, a three-year difference between the events of Red and Blue and the events of Gold and Silver. Uh, and suddenly a lot more strange Pokemon have moved into Kanto. Um, and so the way that we choose to interpret that is that the more global and the more interconnected the Pokemon world becomes, the more Pokemon from different regions migrate. Um, and so, yeah, there's a there's a very, very healthy variety of pokemon in our setting actually with our our three player characters in the intro arc uh they all have starters that are non-native to kanto uh which is is pretty cool as much as people love to narrow in on those original 151 and as great as those are there are so many awesome we're we're above 800 pokemon now there's a lot of really cool (laughs) boys uh that were not around back in 1996
0: oh yes I am not, this is not a podcast to debate which generations of Pokemon are valid. They're all valid. And that is my (laughs) final word on the matter.
1: Oh, there's (laughs) been, I I don't know how much of this would have reached you, but there's been this huge trend on Twitter of people wanting to argue what deserves to be thrown out of the franchise. I'm like, this is how we celebrate a new game announcement, talking about what we want to get rid of. It's all awesome. Keep all of it.
0: (laughs) I just... (laughs) Thankfully, I managed to keep myself off of the saltier portions of Twitter, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I will take that in its stride.
1: Yep, yep. I I am thoroughly jealous.
0: Uh, I I find that blocking hashtags helps a lot of the time. (laughs) (laughs) So, actually, a couple of my friends, um because they don't want to be spoiled for the upcoming pokemon games uh this is just a little quick free promo uh if you block the hashtag uh pkmn free like pe- like among our circle we're using that to like retweet stuff and share things so like hey like if you don't want to see spoilers just just mute that hashtag and then you won't see spoilers i don't know if it's going to catch on but we're trying to do it <laughs>
1: I mean that that's a really good uh really good initiative. Um that's something that, you know, we our our community in, in our small little insular Pokemon fan community, we've just we've got everything very, very segregated and yeah. Uh there there are places to discuss those things. Everyone's real, real excited, but don't don't ruin it for your friends. That's just that just sucks.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> we're gonna get off that soapbox. <laughs> we've had our moment for talking about <laughs> Not ruining games for other people. <laughs> no spoilies. <laughs> yeah, uh, no spoilies. Back to uh, Lopani Lu. with uh, what is kind of like his backstory? How was he? How was he created? Or like, if you don't want to talk about plots of immediately, how did you come up with him as a character?
1: Sure, sure. So Lou, Lou's an older man. Uh, He is somewhere in between his mid fifties and his early seventies. When the story starts, he's got one of those faces where all you can really tell is old, Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but he was, he was a very, very young man when team rocket came to town and and he was quickly brought into that fold. Again, he, he grew up very, very poor. Uh, his family, even like the the more hardworking and honest and you know straight-backed, uh, stiff-necked ones, had had some probably pretty unfortunate run-ins with the law, or even just the the people who have enough money to be above the law that exist very much in our real world and so he had a chip on his shoulder even then um, and so I, again I think that when Team Rocket came with this uh, mantra of you know family and brotherhood and you know we are a power unto ourselves that really resonated with Lou although I don't think he was ever anything more than like a a low level grunt within the, the rocket organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he would have been there in Celadon when red came to town and cleared out the game corner and booted everybody out. And something that, that I spent a lot of time thinking about is what happened to those guys, right? Because Celadon was crawling with Team Rocket Grunts, and just because Giovanni got his butt kicked and the organization crumbled, like, those guys who knew nothing but a life of crime were still very much there, whether they were native, whether they were transplanted, they're still here. So what happens to them? And what we decided happens to them, to the, the disenfranchised rockets, is that things probably got very hard very quickly. Um, in a city where you talk about there is going to be like a 1% element, right? There are going to be these mega, ultra rich and powerful who live there. Uh, I'm sure that they didn't appreciate having their city exposed as being the home of organized crime. Whether whether they were in on the whole thing and profiting from it, as frequently does happen in the real world with crime elements, or whether they were completely in the dark, it's still it tarnished their image. Um, And so I, I imagine they would have been very hard on that. You know, we we've already established it in our setting. They push the game corner entirely out of celadon uh that new ownership tried to come in and revitalize it two or three times and they always like um
0: regulated
1: and uh taxed it into oblivion essentially until a point where somebody finally came in just took the slot machines and moved them to another part of the region that was more hospitable to their business okay Um, so where'd those go um well our well this is such a minor thing, it doesn't really matter.
0: I'm curious, where, in, where, where do you move slot machines and Pokemon?
1: In our setting, actually, um, a very, very wealthy man purchased the Game Corner, could not make it work in Celadon, and built and opened a new resort outside of Cerulean City, the Nugget Grand Resorts, right okay. across the Nugget Bridge. Uh, okay. So. Yeah, in our setting that is where the active casino within canto was still operating. Okay. Um, See,
0: I, I grew up next to I grew up next to the Mississippi, so having casinos along rivers is extremely, extremely familiar <laughs> to
1: me. Yeah, yeah. Even here in, in the middle of Indiana, for a long time, the only legal gambling establishment we had was a riverboat casino that could only operate while it was moving. So mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, tax loss, real weird.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um But yeah, so the, those who had authority and money cracked down pretty hard. And Lou ultimately decided that, again, something had to change that, that, that him and people like him needed back what they had lost. Um, And so he decided that he was going to fix it, but in order to fix it, he needed what they had lost when the rockets fell. They had no money. They had no power. He needed money. He needed power. And so at that point, he he learned to lean into what he's really good at. And Lou is Lou is really, really good at being deceptive. Um, he not necessarily. I mean, well, I mean, obviously, he's a criminal. So, yes, in a bad way. Right. Um, but like like not necessarily in the stabby in the back kind of way, but he's very good. He's. He's very theatric. He's a performer. He's very good at drawing your attention exactly where he wants it, whether it is to Mm -hmm. sell you something or to distract you so that he can rob you. Misdirection. Uh, Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, Um, he took that skill and he took it on the road. I imagine that he went through um, all of, maybe what you would consider the old world of Pokemon. I I imagine he traveled extensively in like Kalos, in Galar, now that we know that Galar is a thing, that would be a logical place for for Lou to have gone. Um, And he just, he swindled rich people out of their money. Was gone for probably a solid decade Mm -hmm. before he came home with a new face and a new name no one knew him, no one recognized him, and he actually bought that abandoned game corner building and he turned it into a grocery, a neighborhood bodega. Lu's Lou's uh, grocery and delicatessen, I think, is what is actually on the sign. It's been a long time since I described that sign. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he opened a little neighborhood bodega. Uh, and Lou is kind of noteworthy in Celadon in that he's one of the few figures that, Everyone seems to genuinely like, um, from the the poor and disenfranchised in the neighborhood who come by beef jerky and um, moo moo milk chocolate M and M's uh, from his store down up to the, the the rich upper class who think that he's kind of classing up the the lower districts of the city, but they also don't know what what he's really about because at the same time that Lou was renovating his grocery you know lou was a former rocket grunt he very much knew what was behind the poster and what's in the basement Mm -hmm. and he said about renovating the basement uh which he has turned into like a a bar and gathering place for all speakeasy yeah essentially yes a pokemon (laughs) world speakeasy that's full of like arcade video game cabinets that were left behind when the casino moved out and pool tables and a, a full service bar and it's where everyone who makes their living on the wrong side of Celadon can come and they can make business connections. They can relax for the evening. They can fence their stolen goods. They can deal in information. uh, And just, this is how he likes to give back. Like Lou, he he takes care of the street children uh, and and he tries to take care of the crooks and and give them a place where they can just be and not be afraid, which Mm -hmm. is something that wasn't really known in Celadon for a really long time.
0: Okay, uh I'm curious to hear if his philanthropy extends outside of specifically helping like helping like homeless kids and helping his fellow criminals or like I'm just gonna say like law skirters um, like <laughs> is there any kind of like community outreach because like if he's trying to like bring back team rocket, but in a sense of creating a social power and also building up the community like what other kinds of community outreach is he doing
1: well see and that's the thing is this is how lou sees himself but i, I don't think it's entirely genuine again he's got a very very large chip on his shoulder for the people that he perceives to have longed him um, which would primarily consist of the the very very rich and the, the people who do their bidding so police officers who are not on the take. Um, you know, just, just in general, anyone that he sees as the other. And as much as he, he wants to even misdirect and, and trick himself into seeing himself in this hero's light. Most of the things that he does when viewed with an, with a, um, impartial, when viewed with an impartial magnifying glass are much, much less about helping people as they are about hurting the people who have hurt him. Um, He may not even want to see that, but like, you're right, there are definitely things that he could be doing to really help his community a lot, lot more than Mm -hmm. he is. You know, instead of instead of pushing kids towards being more successful in a life of crime, he could be pushing them into school. Uh, Mm -hmm. But he's but he's not. He's absolutely not. He's saying, I'm going to put you in a position to succeed, but in the ways that I want you to succeed, Mm -hmm. because your success means more to me if you're doing it here
0: he's more interested in winning influence than in genuinely creating a better situation for people.
1: Yeah. And again, it's not even necessarily clear, even, even to me and I portray him right. If, if that's a conscious thing for him, or if he really, if he's so broken that he really thinks this is how I help people. Uh, But I mean, this is how he's trying to help people, Um, which again is very effective on a very like shallow surface level. But like, if you look under, under the surface, with any sort of um, skepticism, it falls apart rather quickly, I think.
0: Interesting. So I'm feeling like if you were to put uh Lou on a on any kind of like moral alignment chart that he would be pretty solidly like chaotic neutral.
1: Yeah, yeah, m- maybe maybe true neutral um because I mean he believes in a certain degree of order. It's just not the order of law necessarily. Um uh, but but yeah, definitely he might see himself as a good guy, but I don't think anybody else would make that mistake, frankly.
0: Mhm. I'm I'm curious then to hear like, is this again, not knowing and not knowing really anything about uh the plot of BBR Adventures, um, is this something where the character the player characters have had issues and conflicts with Lou because he is not as not as good intentioned as he wants to appear?
1: So well actually by the time this comes out, the, the arc will have wrapped, so just quick spoiler alert, if you're a listener of ours and you haven't listened to that finale episode, pause it, go listen to it, and come back, uh, because I do want to talk about this, this is really, really interesting, but I don't want to spoil you without warning you, so just, yeah, if you haven't listened yet, go do that.
0: Yeah, um, yeah spoiler warning.
1: <laughs> but our three player characters in our pilot arc are all street kids, basically, um they're they're all either orphaned or just kind of living on the wrong side of the law at a young age and Lou has kind of taken them all in and mentored them but again is steering them on a very specific path towards what he wants them to do Mm -hmm. um and actually at the very very end one of those player characters uh Nick Coletti played by my my very good friend Tanner um kind of sees through it kind of sees through Lou's whole thing and says no, this isn't helping anybody. Um, and he actually goes back in and he steals the item that they were commissioned to steal back from Lou and back from the rocket bosses that commissioned the job okay. and, and returns it and turns himself into law enforcement. Um, so, so yeah, Lou, Lou I think is going to see a pretty swift and dramatic heel turn because he's been crossed now by someone that he saw as very much being one of his and that's not going to settle mm-hmm. too well.
0: So he's gonna get his no more Mister Nice Guy moment.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, because the the thing, the thing that we haven't really seen out of Lou yet, but that you, to understand this man, you have to understand is that. He sees his goals as noble, but he will be absolutely ruthless in pursuing them because he very much sees it as an us versus them scenario. And if you mm-hmm. make yourself a part of the, the them, then there is absolutely no mercy in his mind for you. You have aligned yourself against what is right and you're going to face the consequences of that.
0: Okay. With, um, I'm going to come at this now from a more metatextual perspective. Um, how, what has your experience been like with specifically playing someone who is arguably a
1: villain um so i i've enjoyed it a lot frankly Uh, (laughs) um because my my goal with lou and with our whole pilot arc was to create really identifiable villains i i wanted our audience to to know the villains before they were cast in that villainous light and to hopefully at least to some degree, understand why they are undertaking the actions that they undertake so that even as they're rooting for them to be brought down, maybe there's a part of them that's a little conflicted about that Uh, because to me, that's the mark of good storytelling. Um, And I feel like Lou is absolutely one of those characters. Like he's done again on the surface level, which over the course of nine play episodes is about all you really get a chance to scratch on the surface level Lou has done a, a lot of good stuff but that doesn't negate the bad stuff that he's done or the bad stuff that he's going to continue to do and at the end of the day like he is absolutely someone who must be stopped for the good of of everyone um, but that shouldn't be easy and I think that we've accomplished that if if our listeners and their chatter is anything to go by about about three episodes ago, one one guy in particular started going, "Oh God, they're setting up the villains. These guys are all going to be the villains of the next arc." And I'm just like chuckling behind my hands, like. <laughs> yep. <laughs>
0: I've I've never had to take I've never had to take that tack before when running a game. Uh, so uh, I I hope I hope that everything is going well in your game. <laughs> Because uh, I guess maybe the next question is, um, with a name like Lou, besides the fact that he's somewhere in the nebulously past middle age range, what does he look like? Does he have a costume? Did he have a, like a fancy magic costume?
1: no no lou current lou modern day lou dresses very modestly like you might suspect of, of a moderately successful greengrocer. uh right he he wears like an old dusty brown leather jacket he wears uh slacks and and you know brown patent leather shoes uh, he walks with a heavy limp with a cane but when he needs to be, he can be very, very spry. And it's not entirely clear if the limp is affected or if he's just able to suppress it for quick bursts of motion. Like, it's not. Even the people who know him really aren't sure how nimble Lou is at this age. But he can definitely move when he has to. Um, so, to the best of everyone's knowledge at this point, at least, Lou gets his nickname from his partner, which is uh, a little bun eerie that he, he affectionately calls Angel, who is. When when performing, when when attempting to charm someone, is the sweetest, cutest little Baneri that you've ever seen in your entire life. Mm-hmm. And and when she has no one to impress, is the grumpiest, curmudgeonliest little bunny that you have ever seen. Uh, because okay. if you didn't know this, Buneary is one of the very few, if not the only Pokemon that you catch in the wild with a friendship of zero. <laughs> this is the face of utter disgust. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah um he also the the only other pokemon that he has shown to date is actually one that's more frequently seen by his side even than angel which is his purloin his butter his uh pet cat named buttercup who is constantly on his shoulder or his lap or somewhere very near him and will also pick pockets with her tail when no one is looking
0: gotcha gotcha those are both very interesting choices. Also, Buttercup is the Bodega Cat, which I appreciate. <laughs> Those are so good. Bodega Cats are fantastic. Uh, I've, I'm i curious, though, like, if he has any other, like, super aces, or if he just says like, this level 63 bunny or whatever.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, we'll have to stay tuned. Lou, all, all I will say is that Lou has traveled the world. And even if it was a very mild-mannered trip, in the world of Pokemon, I'm not sure how far he would have gotten with a Purloin and a Binary.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, though, there are those people where they do, like, single runs of playing... I think I remember seeing one person... Uh, One one lady was posting her playthrough where I think she was doing the... Re- like, she was doing the top percentage challenge. Of- <laughs> she, I think it was that she beat either gold or silver or one of the first generation kanto games with just a rattata
1: that and is she absolutely incredible i um, think she
0: had like others on her team for the sake of hm moves but like in battling it was literally just her rattata and she did it
1: that is that is totally totally phenomenal we are all about challenge runs um although I, and i will say our setting is much much more reminiscent of like the anime and the manga than it is with of the video games it's storytelling um, so I mean yeah it is entirely possible that someone would take a, an unevolved Pokemon and actually be really really mm-hmm. successful with it we actually oh, we, yeah. hom- we homebrewed our own system um, we're using Powered by okay. the Apocalypse uh, we, nice. we built our own framework around it uh, okay. and we specifically built it so that unevolved Pokemon can pose a serious challenge to evolved forms because I mean in almost every Pokemon storytelling medium that is true it's just in the video games where it's not
0: Mm-hmm. now i'm i'm gonna a quick question here because i'm genuinely curious how do y'all handle combat
1: um so we it's more complicated than probably anything in powered by the apocalypse ever should be because we wanted it to still feel like pokemon combat mm-hmm. um but it's still pretty simple um generally your, your pokemon has its four moves that it can use in combat yeah it can if it has, like, inherent abilities, like, Ghost with Will-O-Wisp, just as an example. Mm-hmm. Like, they can conjure a spectral flame.
0: Fire types breathing fire.
1: Yeah, then they can just do that stuff out in the world, but that doesn't necessarily mean they can harness it into an attack in the heat of battle if they don't know the appropriate attack. Um, so you have your, your set, your four attacks. Um, you choose one and you attack with it. You roll your 2d6 um, on a failure you miss and you take a counterattack from your opponent uh, on a mix or on a mixed success you deal damage but your opponent deals damage back to you uh, on a full success you deal damage you take no damage and then also we have a system of tags for different moves so like mm-hmm. for vine for Vine Whip, for example, it has the tag of entangling. And so mm-hmm. one of your options on a full success is you can activate that tag and say, okay, well, I'm going to Vine Whip, but then I'm also going to wrap it up in my vine so that it can't move for the next round. Okay. Um, and that's that's totally valid. So we try to, you know, we, we try not to focus too minusculely on the rules because that's what that's what Apocalypse System games are all about. It's about yeah. facilitating the storytelling rather than rules mongering the system. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's just kind of the basic framework we play with.
0: Okay good to know um with that in mind then has uh has lou gotten any like any combat in with the player characters whether it's like on their side or against them
1: no actually he's been he's been very much the role of the the quest giver so far in 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 gameplay you know he, he set them on their path and he was there to you know, provide information and, and assist them in that manner. But he—he he actually he has not left his deli, uh, his bodega in the time that that the game has been running.
0: Okay, so with that in mind, then, um, as the as the game master, what has your experience been with having a character who is who does not have the best of intentions, but is still like? Putting on the front of being like the kindly old man to the player characters, like how do you balance that duality?
1: So, I try to when I'm when I'm in the headspace of Lou, and I've had to be a couple times, by the way, because um, and we'll talk more about this. We're going to do a special Q and A episode, and I'm sure somebody's going to ask, but. Um, You know, the the arc that we're on currently where Nick went back and he stole the clear bell back and he turned himself in. That was not planned. Uh, Mm -hmm. That was so far off the rails. That was about five episodes in my player coming Mm -hmm. to me and saying, I don't think I can do this. I think we have to ride another way out. And and we had to kind of workshop what that was going to look like that was going to be true to his character. Mm -hmm. Um, But so. But when I'm when I'm occupying Lou's headspace, like when I had to try to figure out what that situation was going to look like and what the fallout was going to be. I tend to ask myself, what would Magneto do? Because, like, they're very, like, obviously it's a very different setting, and they're different people, but their their base motivations are very, very similar. Uh, they both want to protect the people that they see as a part of their group, and they both have a very nihilistic worldview on how mm-hmm. best to do that. Um, and so, yeah, like, that's that's just kind of my, my go-to, is what would Magneto do in this situation? That's probably pretty similar to what we would do as well.
0: Okay. Okay. I feel, that feels like a very like Slytherin tack to take.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I imagine that if this were the world of Harry Potter, uh, which which ironically in the long form campaign we're going to boarding school. So hey, I'll aboard the train to Poke Hogwarts. Uh, okay. <laughs> but yes, if this was if this was the Harry Potter world, I imagine that Lou would be very much a Slytherin.
0: Okay. In the games that you have done so far, uh, what are some of your favorite plot points that have happened with and around Lou?
1: Um. So. One thing that I actually really, really like is um one of our characters, uh Sakamoto, played by actually my my younger brother, Jacob. Um, he's an interesting character because he's the only one of our player characters who is not an orphan. Uh who has parents and has an active relationship with his parents. And um he kind of got involved in this because Sakamoto is is the the product of a broken home. Um his, his father is incarcerated. Um, his mother is a single mother who's working entirely too hard for too little money on too many hours to support her her family, which is, I think, something that is only tr- too true of too many of us uh, nowadays, frankly. Um, and Sakamoto got caught shoplifting from the bodega multiple times, either out of hunger or just out of, you know, boredom uh, and idleness because he's a 15-year-old boy on the wrong side of the tracks with very little parental supervision and nothing to do. Um, and Lou wound up getting him a job, saying, you know, instead of running the streets and certainly instead of stealing from me and having me have to, you know, kick the crud out of you, come sweep up my back room and stock my shelves and I'll pay you and I'll make sure that you're fed. Um, and so there's been a, a very a very genuine like relationship that's built there even over the very limited time that we've had. Um, and, and it's one that has resonated with our audience a lot as well in ways that I didn't really expect. Um, you know, Lou has, has done personal things for all of our player characters, but I don't think that's rang truer anywhere that, that it has in the relationship between those two characters, which feels okay. really special.
0: Nice. Um, and of course, then since this is a Pokemon game, what's been the most fun shenanigans that you've had, Lou, get up to?
1: <laughs> um,
0: Look, it wouldn't be Pokemon without some kind of shenanigans.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. Um, so that Lou has personally gotten up to, um, well, this is this is actually this is actually a pretty a pretty fun one um, when. When we were in our very first episodes, right? When when our player characters were gathering and Lou was spelling out, Hey, I have a job for you. Some very important people want this done. You know, we're all going to be made if you can pull it off and you can accomplish this. We were all so excited to be making the show and to be recording and playing that they got sidetracked. I forgot to retrack us. And I ultimately never actually told them what they were supposed to steal. Okay. <laughs> And so they left like yes, we're gonna go scout the place out. We're gonna go figure this out. No idea what their actual target was. Okay, uh, and so we, we had to to quickly role play. Okay, well now you got to come back in the morning and ask him what what you're actually supposed to <laughs> get your hands on. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that was that was interesting. Um. I mean, as far as slap sh- sticky shenanigans, there was plenty of that in this arc. Um. They our player characters were actually breaking into the the home of of Yusine of Pokemon Crystal Fame who is obsessed with Suicune and the Legendary Beasts and Ah oh, yes, uh, the, the nerd. <laughs> yes, the the super nerd with his big red bow tie. Um and so he had all sorts of um artifacts in his home uh and they managed to release a horde of very ancient very angry pokemon and absolutely destroy this poor man's mansion uh oh, no. th- that is a thing that happened uh yeah just unknown and clay doll just buzzing all over the place sand streaming from the ceiling it was mass hysteria uh but again lou was back at his place enjoying an irish coffee and and, and berating customers at that point so
0: okay <laughs> would you say that lou the character prefers uh, running the corner more or running this, like, would you say that he prefers more like being the, being the friendly bodega owner or the friendly guy who runs the hangout below the bodega?
1: So Lou, at this point in his life, actually, he's, he's looking at legacy. Um, You know, he's built something and he's helped people. And that's really, really important to him. But it, it, you reach a certain age and it becomes very apparent that I can't keep doing this forever. Uh, And that's ultimately why, well, I mean, that's not the only reason he's so interested in youth, but that's why he takes such a particular interest in our three protagonists because he sees in them the future of, of his people, right. Uh, Of these people who are down on their luck and downtrodden and need shepherded and cared for and protected. And I mean, at this point in his life, Lou Lou has an eye towards retirement. He wants to back out of it altogether. He's looking for his replacements that he can groom and train up and teach, as far as he is concerned, the proper way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And then bow out quietly and leave them to do it. Um, He thought that he had found that very clearly with how things shook out. He is not. um, Which is going to be a very large disappointment. Um uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean at this point he he loves interacting with people. He's a very social creature. Uh but at this point I think Lou just kinda wants to take a, a back seat and let somebody else do it.
0: Okay. So um how do you see yourself in Lou? Um Well. If not, that's also okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I, I think that I do because I think that at the end of the day, while Lou is a very I mean, not not to draw too fine of a point on it, while Lou is at his basest cork, a little bit of a despicable person, right? He's, Or at least he's very capable of being. He's also mm-hmm. capable of great... Like, there is nobility in him. Um, and it comes to greater or lesser degree to the forefront, depending on the circumstances that he finds himself in. And, of course, how he reacts to those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I see myself in Lou when he is when he's dealing with the kids when he's dealing with the young people like again i i am a father i have young kids of my own Mm -hmm. and you know lou is lou is not lou has only ever been in one romantic entanglement in his entire life um and it actually it, it ended when team rocket fell with his partner going a different way and deciding that I need to change the way I'm living my life. And obviously there was, there was a big divergence there, ah, okay. um, but Lou has never had kids, but he sees these kids as, as his, in a lot of ways, like they are, mm-hmm. um, n- nobody else is looking out for them. So he needs to, um, and, and he wants to protect them and nurture them and bring out, what makes them special and good. And I think that's something that any parent can really relate to. And, and mm-hmm. it's certainly a part of his headspace that, that I can occupy really naturally.
0: Yeah. Wanted, wanted to take care of the little people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Both literally and figuratively. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um. Has, has Lou then made it into anything else that you've done? Any other games that you might've run?
1: Um, I mean, I think that th- this is a story that has been in the back of my mind somewhere as long as I have been playing Pokemon, which has been most of my life at this point. I, I was I was 12 years old when Pokemon Red and Blue came out, and I have been playing them ever, ever since. Um, you know, every every fan, I think of any franchise, but particularly of Pokemon, has at some point had the conversation of, what is your perfect game? If you could design it from... Floor up, uh, make it exactly how you want it. What is your perfect Pokemon Mm -hmm. game? And this campaign is, is it, or at least what it was 10 years ago for me. I think that my answers have shifted as my tastes have matured. Um, but the basic framework of our story is what that game would have been for me as a younger man. Um, and as such, Lou has to greater or lesser degree existed somewhere in my mind space for at least that long, even though we've only been making our show now for a few months. Um,
0: okay.
1: I mean, I think that realistically, any time in any role-playing game or even, you know, I played World of Warcraft really hard for a really long time, and I was never I was never a role player. Um, in that particular game, at least that community always struck me as a little bit weird and frankly a little bit sexual for my tastes. um but but my characters always had a character like in my head at least mm-hmm. like they had motivations they were doing things for their reasons and like if a if a game arc came along that like you know, I played an Orc Death Knight for a long time, who was very like, you know, blood and honor. And and when like the Siege of Orgrimmar stuff came along, like I just had to bench him for for a patch cycle and play something else because I was like, he one hundred and ten percent just would not go along with this. Like yeah. he's gonna he's gonna sit on his farm and he's gonna plant his carrots and he's gonna let somebody else deal with this crap because he's not having mm-hmm. it. Um, but I mean, I think that any time there has been like an affable, relatable rogue in anything that I've done, there's probably been a little bit of blue.
0: Okay, interesting. Anything else that you want to talk about with Lou that we didn't cover tonight? Um,
1: I I think that the biggest thing that I just want to stress, uh, whether you're like an established listener of ours, if you decide that you want to pick up Adventures and come along on this ride with us, which, I mean, awesome. That's fantastic. Uh, We're making it for you. We'd love for you to enjoy it. Um, But, again, Lou is, Lou is extremely affable he likes people and he wants to be liked and he wants to help people, but he is, he's on a path that is incredibly destructive, both to himself and the people around him to the very people that he wants better for. Um, Really? He's not, the, the problem with Lou's justice is that it doesn't raise up the people that he feels are downtrodden. It brings mm-hmm. everyone down to their level. Um, and while that might be, you know, justice in the biblical sense, in the eye for an eye uh, mm-hmm. sense of the matter.
0: Tooth for a tooth.
1: Exactly. It's not, it's not really helping anyone. It's just hurting someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, don't I, I'm not going to say necessarily to give up hope in the guy. Like he again, there, there, he does have a nobler side and can be a very, very good person. Mm-hmm. But just remember that just because he can be a good person does not necessarily mean he is a good person. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah that's that's something that I think that a lot of a a lot of people. Myself included, need to keep in mind when creating villains. <laughs> Some they might have they might have really good intentions, but if their methods are bad, <laughs> then maybe they're just bad.
1: Yeah. <laughs> at, at the end of the day, yeah, everyone sees themselves as the hero in their own story, uh, and obviously someone's not.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, because again, his. <laughs> Again, also because he is literally running the criminal bar underneath Celadon City. <laughs> uh, okay, so your final question then, Steven, is why do you love Lopity Lou so much?
1: I-, I love Lou because I think that Lou is the villain that we can all relate to. Um, everyone has been hurt. Uh To greater or lesser degrees in their lives, and uh I don't think that anyone is so much of a saint that we have ever or that we have never wished that we could inflict the same kind of hurt on others as they've inflicted on us um you know, and sometimes we feel that as a very righteous, a very uh justice fueled anger um and it, i mean in every aspect of our lives, i mean, I think that we can see not to. Not to go too far in that direction because, God, that's a minefield in 2019. But we see a lot of that politically right now um, where people want to make caricatures of and demonize the people that they disagree with. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, you might have good reasons for disagreeing with them. They might be hurting you and people like you in very, very real ways. But we have to remember that we're all people at the end of the day. Dehumanizing anyone for any reason is never healthy. It's never good for them or for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Lou is kind of the, the cautionary tale of that mindset, and it's one that we're all susceptible to.
0: Mm-hmm. I was going to say something, but I don't know how I want to phrase it, so I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, you know what? Yes, I do. Except for Nazis. Nazis are always terrible.
1: Yes, yes. I- if you have the option between punch a Nazi and do not punch a Nazi, punch that Nazi.
0: Yes, punch the Nazi. <laughs> always punch the Nazi. Official stance of the Home for Ray Widow <laughs> ending on that lovely uh fiercely positive note i guess we (laughs) could phrase it uh thank you so much for coming on the show tonight steven uh i appreciated having you on here and getting to hear about lopany lou
1: thank you very much for having me
0: uh you are welcome so i know that you will have stuff you want to promo so where can people find you on the internet if you want to be found uh what shows do you want to plug that kind of a thing
1: yeah, absolutely. So um, you can find me personally on Twitter at BDR Jolly. Um, I'm kind of like the old curmudgeoning man of social media. I mostly just retweet things and then yell a lot. Uh, but I'm there. You can find me. Um, you can follow our family of shows at blastburn Radio on twitter um and you can find uh blastburn radio and blastburn radio adventures are uh, our two primary products on the same feed under blastburn radio on itunes stitcher google play spotify uh generally if there's a place where you find podcasts you, you probably know about it because you're listening to one uh we're probably also in that space Okay, cool.
0: Uh, good to know. I'm, I also was writing it down so that I don't have to worry about trying to write it down as I edit this over
1: the weekend. <laughs> Hooray!
0: <laughs> the Home for Yoruba Seas is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. It can be found on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. And also Peppa. Uh, our theme song is Violet by Pottington Bear, courtesy of the Free Music Archives. Uh, new episodes come out on the second and fourth Mondays of the month. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we can be found on Twitter at WaywardOCPod or through the WaywardOCPod hashtag. And you can also email us at WaywardOCPod at gmail.com. Uh, and we are always looking for guests to come on the show and talk about the original characters, although we thankfully do have a little bit of a backlog because, because uh, <laughs> uh, pardon the kimono here a little bit, uh, the next couple months are going to be absolutely insane for me, but I have a schedule and I'm going to stick to it as much as I can. So, if you are wanting to be on the show, uh, don't let that stop you from, uh, sending an email you or someone you know send in a tweet, and I can talk to you about, uh, hopefully getting on the show at some point. Uh, and, uh, as a side note, I am going to be putting up, uh, probably the day after this episode drops, uh, a Twitter poll, because something that I want to do is to... Uh, help, I guess, promote other people's shows, especially if it's, like, someone who's been a guest on the show, or someone, or, like, one of my friends, or someone who's just getting started with their podcast. So, uh, when you are listening to this episode, if you have a Twitter, uh, head over to the Wayward OC Pod Twitter, and vote for whether or not uh, you would be interested in having uh, short promotional ads for other podcasts. Uh, they'd probably be played at, like, the end of the episode. Um, and that aside, uh, since this is a podcast, it is always super helpful, uh, if you subscribe and rate us, ideally five stars, uh, on your listening platform of choice, especially if it's Apple Podcasts, because Apple's, uh, Eldritch Magic, um, because it helps us to find more guests and to brighten more people's days. So, thank you all for listening. This has been the Home for Your Widow Seas, and we hope you enjoy your stay.
1: Sorry, I I mean I'm getting that little something disconnected then reconnected alert voice ah. sound I'm just trying to make sure it's not my microphone. Nope, nope, okay, I've been recording good. Good, 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 good. good, good. good. <laughs> good, good, good. Thank God. Uh Windows, windows, knock it off. Uh <laughs>